I want to take as my text that's reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1163. Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning at verse 10, which I'd like to read again just so it's fresh in our minds. Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning at verse 10, in which the apostle writes as he is under house arrest in Rome. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end that you might keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. This morning I want to talk about resisting evil in a way that works. Resisting evil in a way that works. Now most Christians I know are quite aware of the problem of evil and not just evil as it exists in the world at large, but they're also aware of evil as it exists within the context of their lives. And the question often is, is how do I effectively deal with it? How do I effectively deal with evil when it's directed toward me and also on those not-so-rare occasions when I'm tempted to do it myself? And in our text, Paul mentions three things about what it means to resist evil in a way that works. And the first is, is that resisting evil in a way that works means resisting evil in God's power and not your own. Resisting evil in God's power and not your own. In fact, look, notice again at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
it reminded me, in fact, um, it's interesting, and I, I think I've mentioned this before. I give the, I give the text to Stephen, to Steve, our uh, praise uh, team leader, and I never know what he's going to sing until I get here. But this reminded me of a verse from 1 Samuel. In fact, it says this in, 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 the, in the books of Samuel on various different occasions, but here is an example of that. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 47, the battle is the Lord's. <laughs> we sang that this morning. The battle is the Lord's. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on His armor. Indeed, resisting evil isn't something that we can really do effectively in our own strength. Uh, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? It, it, because um, uh, we have forces arrayed against us with which we can't actually compete. In fact, this is a, a theme uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New. In fact, Peter said, you know, famously in his letter in chapter 5 and verse 8, be sober-minded and be watchful. And you better, <laughs> as he says, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what we're up against. And you may never see him, but you see the people he uses. And so Paul says, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's not our armor. It's God's armor. And the goal is not to fold, which is oftentimes what happens. You know, Flip Wilson said decades ago, you know, the devil made me do it. And we all laugh. We all laugh like we do any situation comedy that we watch because it reflects our family. <laughs> and that idea that the devil made me do it, we feel, we feel um, what? We feel um, 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 impotent to, to do anything about it. But what Paul is talking about here is not doing something that you can continue to fold, but that you might be able to stand. In other words, to win against the devil's schemes, to win against his lies, to win against his tactics and strategies that are designed to make you defeated spiritually. And this armor of God is needed, as we said, and as Paul says, because we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It, ultimately, it's not just people. What's happening in the world today, what's happening in the church today, what's happening in local churches today is not just about people. It's about the forces that are behind all of that. Paul calls them here rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. If you like, the spiritual allies of the devil. We sometimes refer to them as demons. We don't know all the ins and outs and the details of it. But we know the principle in general, which is one that we learn about whether you're reading the book of Job or the first letter of St. John the Divine. So in 1 John, for instance, we read John, the beloved apostle of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, For we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Or in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, the devil is described as that deceiver who deceives the whole world. And as Anthony Hopkins put it in the movie called The Right, 
He said, choosing not to believe in the devil won't protect you from him. And so that's the first thing. Resisting evil in a way that works means resisting evil in God's power, not your own. Secondly, Paul says that resisting evil in a way that works means resisting using God's divine resources. Notice again, beginning at verse 13. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not just bits and pieces of it, but all of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, to stand firm, and therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so God's divine resources are sixfold. He gives us truth and righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. All of which Paul portrays metaphorically, likening to them each to either an offensive or defensive equipment that the Roman soldiers used in his day. And so Paul talks about uh, putting on the belt of truth. Um, and notice, uh, we should mention that uh, the soldier doesn't put on any of this after the battle starts. It's all put on before the battle starts in preparation for the battle. Indeed, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, that is, effectively resist in the evil day, that is, in the day that you're attacked. Have this stuff on, so when the day of attack comes, you are ready. And so Paul says, put on the belt of truth. The antidote for lies is truth. And the less truth you know, the more susceptible you'll be to lies. And so he says, put on the belt of truth. In other places in the scripture, the devil is called a liar. He's a deceiver. Did God say that you can't eat from every tree in the garden? If you're the son of God, make these stones into bread. If you would bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms and the glory of them. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple because the scripture says that the angels will come and rescue you lest you dash your heel against a stone. And what are the lies that he tells to you? They're all lies. They're all lies. He never speaks the truth. And those who traffic in lies are like him. 
But the Roman soldier wore this heavy leather belt around his waist. It kept his tunic and his breeches in place. It's a good thing, right? But also was wide, and so it provided needed protection around his abdomen. Wear the truth like a belt around your waist. Truth, truth as a protector. And then Paul says, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Presumably what he's talking about here is imputed righteousness. That's a big theological expression. But what it means is the righteousness that God gives to us as a gift because we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. God gives to us as a gift what we can't gain for ourselves through doing stuff. And so he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Another way might be to say, put on the breastplate of, of justification before God. The breastplate of having a, a right standing before God. It's a, it's a picture of protection and security. One less thing to worry about. God's got me covered. I live for him not to become a child of God. I live for him because I am a child of God. And I'm in the battle not to become a soldier in his army. I'm in the battle because I am a soldier in his army. And he's pleased with me because the righteousness of the Son that he said with whom he's well pleased is mine too and yours too. By grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. And the Roman soldier wore a, a breastplate that provided protection from the loins up to the shoulders. And then Paul says, and put on, uh, on shoes that are shod with the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers wore shoes that were what we would call cleated with studs on the bottom so that when they were in the heat of battle and oftentimes very close, in fact, the word wrestle, you got to get pretty close to somebody to wrestle with them. But Paul's not talking about shooting, you know, from far away. He's talking about up close. And so the Romans would wear these shod shoes that would allow them to put their feet down and to keep them from falling on the ground. And if you know anything about fighting, whether you have weapons or you're just doing it with your fist, the last thing that you want to do is end up on the ground. <laughs> Whoever hits the ground first is done. And so the gospel of peace, shod your feet with the gospel of peace. In the, in, in the uh, book, the letter to the Ephesians, this is this message that the, that the good news is for everyone. The good news is, is for every nation, every culture. And then God takes all of these people from all these different places and he makes them one in Christ. The Jew and all of the Gentiles. And they're brought together in peace. Christ is our peace, as he says in chapter 2. And so have this in your mind. In fact, this is a great thing to keep in mind when the devil's messing with the church. And the way in which he does that is to get us to be at odds with one another. Can you imagine the hand that won't cooperate with the foot? Or the mouth that doesn't cooperate with the heart? Or the, and on and on. We're all one body in Christ. But he loves to make a mess of it by getting us all focused on ourselves. Because when we're focused on ourselves, we can't focus together on him. And we make enemies 
of ourselves. But the gospel message is, is that we're all one in Christ. And Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Faith is such a powerful thing. The word pistis, which we uh, translate into English as faith, is also can be translated trust. Trust and faith in what? Just faith in anything? Of course not. Faith in God. And take up the shield of faith, which is an effective attack, effective when being attacked by the devil. In fact, he talks here about extinguishing these fiery arrows. Uh, you've, you've, I mean, you've all seen Russell Crowe, haven't you, in The Gladiator? You know what the Romans do. You've, you've seen it on the big screen, haven't you? Right? And the fiery arrows and so on. And the Romans had this uh, uh, shield that was about four feet long. It was meant to, meant to cover pretty much your whole body. It had a wooden frame and it was covered in leather. And when they, when they uh, suspected as often was the case, that their enemies would be using these fiery arrows. They would dip their uh, shields in water and get that leather all wet. And so when any, if any of those arrows should hit uh, the uh, shield, they would be extinguished. This is what Paul has in his mind. He's a first century Jew and a citizen of the Roman Empire. He saw more Roman soldiers walk through his town than he cared to admit. And he knew all about it. And then Paul says, and put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation. Deliverance. I, I'm a, I ride a motorcycle. I know that a helmet can make a difference, especially if you go skidding across the pavement. A helmet of salvation. God is a savior, a deliverer. And I think maybe the point of this is, is that his power is able to save. Put on the helmet of of salvation. In fact, in John chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I will deliver you. I'm the overcomer. And when you're with me, you become an overcomer too. Our first John chapter 4 and verse 4, For you are from God and have overcome, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's deliverance. And it lists its hope, doesn't it? Confidence. Finally, Paul says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice this is the, this is the only offensive weapon mentioned. Everything else is an article for defense. The belt, the breastplate, the shield, the helmet, are all defensive. The only offensive we weapon, the sword, which Paul uses as a metaphor for the Word of God. Paul writing to Timothy said this, all scriptures, God breathed, all the Word of God, it's a God breathed theonoustos. It comes from Him. And it's profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You might think of it as sort of an optional thing. Well, you know, we, pray the, we pay the priest and he's supposed to read the Bible. That is, that's his job. Well, if you want to succeed in overcoming evil, you might want to pick up the sword once in a while and get, 
get familiar with it. It's kind of like truth. If I don't know much truth, I won't be able to tell the difference between truth and lies. The truth of the scripture will give us all these reasons to resist evil. It's interesting, you know, if you, if you, if you look at uh, Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus' temptation, the devil comes to him and says these various different things. You know how Jesus responds each time? Each time he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> each time Jesus quotes an appropriate scripture in response to what Satan has to say. Do you ever do that? Well, you'd have to know it to do it. In fact, it would probably be just be good enough if you were familiar with the ideas so that when you're tempted or when evil comes your way, how to resist falling and standing instead. So that's the second thing. Resisting evil in a way that works means resisting using God's divine resources. Finally, Paul says that resisting evil in a way that works means resisting evil while maintaining an ongoing relationship with God. I think that the, this, is a, this is a significant in as much as I think for many Christians, God is a, something that we bring in and out only when we think we need it. And it's not a relationship. I mean, Abraham was described as a friend of God. <laughs> but if I, if, I called the, if I called the police and they turn up because there's been an accident or whatever reason you might call the police, I wouldn't say I was having a relationship with the police. I just had a crisis. And I needed the police to come and help me sort it out. And too often, I think our relationship with God, quote-unquote relationship, is more like bringing God in to sort things out every once in a while. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Notice, uh, beginning at verse 18. And while you're doing all of this, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, to keep alert. <laughs> Man, if you're going to win wars, you've got to be alert. And keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that is prayer for things you need, and for all the saints, and also for me, Paul writes to these believers in Ephesus, won't you please pray for me as well, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And this is a very extraordinary thing. Paul is in prison. You probably, you, you may not always think about this. There, there are lots of Christians in prison. Not just in the first century. <laughs> They're in prison now. In restricted nations where owning a Bible will get you imprisoned. Certainly proclaiming the God. Did you know that in China it's against the law to teach children Christian doctrine. If you, are, if you are found teaching the gospel to children under the age of 18 in China, you will be arrested. And China's not the only country. There's plenty of countries where Christians are being persecuted on a regular basis. 
In fact, there's a great story that I read now, I think it's been a couple of years, in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. There was a story about a Chinese, as it happened, a Chinese pastor. He had been arrested. He was arrested and put in prison for 20 years for preaching the gospel. Because <laughs> the government said, stop doing it. And he said, well, I'd, I'd like to obey, but I can't because i got a master bigger than you. And so finally he got out, and the voice of the martyrs and others knew that he was going to be released. And so they were, they were outside the prison waiting for him to come out. And then he came out. <laughs> and, they, and they had a little reunion there, and he said, listen, I know that I, I've known from the very beginning of the beginning of this 20-year sentence that, uh, that you were praying for me, and Christians all around the world were praying for me. But I'm so glad that God didn't answer your prayers. And then he turned to the prison and he said, because if they were answered, there wouldn't be a church in this prison today. And so the ministry continues even after the arrest and the incarceration. Listen to what he says. <laughs> And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. I'm in prison. And so pray for me that my ministry continues and that I don't wimp out. <laughs> and so Paul says pray at all times in the spirit. It's a suggestive of Ongoing communion with God, praying at all times. Listen, and I, as I say before, you know, somebody will say, oh, you're supposed to pray all the time. I'm going to crash my car. Listen, while you're driving in your car, you've got, you got, you got this dialogue going on, don't you? Man, you're thinking, uh, when I get home, I'm going to tell her. That's the last time. I'm well, man, don't have that conversation. Of, don't rehearse what you're going to say to your wife. You're going to crash the car. Uh, you know what? If you, can, if you can talk to yourself and talk to other people while you're doing all this other stuff, what's the harm of adding one more person named God to it? Right? You can pray all the time. You can pray as often as you want to. Pray, you know what's a great, great place to pray? Is the, is the line at the grocery, at the store. That's a great place to pray. In fact, I try, anytime I get in a situation where I think my time is being wasted... You know what I do? I pray the Jesus prayer. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what the, that's what the Orthodox do in the eastern end of the church. The monks, they, they do that. They clip their vines, and they, all day they're saying that prayer, and they still get their work done. Isn't that amazing? But what it does is it connects you. It makes a connection. And it feeds your soul and it directs your life and the way you see things. And so pray at all times, not just when you're faced with the crisis, but before the crisis strikes. In fact, you will be better equipped to deal with the crisis when you're prepared for it rather than not. That's what makes us ready for the crisis. That's what makes us strong, is an ongoing connection with God. By the way, this is the Ephesians. I invite you to read it this week. It won't take very long. And ask yourself if this being written by somebody who you would describe as weak or as somebody you would describe as strong, as somebody who's down in the dumps because they, all I'm trying to do, Lord, is preach the gospel and they keep on arresting me. 
This guy is on cloud nine. Because he's full of God. And to be full of God is to be full of joy. And that's what this is about. And so Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit for yourself. Ask God for the, talk to God about the things you need. Talk to God about the things that you're struggling with. And ask him to assist you and direct you. Give you wisdom. We talked about that last week. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives without chastising you. Like it was about time you came for wisdom. No, he'll give it to you when you ask for it. With all alertness, don't be asleep. With all perseverance, don't give up. And at all times, pray for others. Here he says the saints. Listen, what you're going through, other Christians are going through. Pray for them too. When you hear about people, somebody sent me a text, said somebody lost their uh, sister. I sent a text to that person and said, I just heard you lost your sister. Just want to let you know we're thinking about you and we're praying for you. As, finished, as soon as I was finished with that text, I put my phone down. I said, oh God, be with this person and with her family. And I commend you to the soul of the faithful departed. That's another thing too. When you tell people you're going to pray for them, I suggest two things. One, if you're with them, just pray right there. If you're on the phone, just say, let's pray. If you're in a situation where you can't and you say, I'll be praying for you, pray for them as soon as you can. Don't tell people you're going to pray for them and not do it. And by the way, you have something to gain too because when you do that, you're taking this situation and you're taking yourself and you're lifting it to God. And that's a good thing. He knows about it. He's not like up there saying, well, you don't say so-and-so died. I mean, he knows. But you get the opportunity to share your life, your concerns, your joys with the living God. And he says, I love it when you talk to me. And so pray for the other believers and then pray for the leaders, which I kind of front-loaded there. Pray for your leaders. Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm asking you, won't you? Pray for me. Right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. I have a target on my back and on my front. And the Satan knows that the best way to mess up the church is to mess up its leadership. And so pray for your leaders because they need your prayers. Cory Tim Boom spent 11 months in a Nazi concentration camp because she and her family were hiding Jews in Holland during World War II. Some of you are familiar with that. And so she lived face to face with evil every day for 11 months in that concentration camp. And yet, years later, this is what she wrote. She said, the devil is strong, but his power is limited. But God's power is unlimited. And that's what makes all this work. The devil's power is limited, but it's greater than your power. So you're no match for him. But when you are strong in the Lord and the power of his might, when you're wearing all of his armor, then you can win and resist and overcome.
And for me, I found that winning is a lot more satisfying than losing. How about you? <laughs> Resisting evil in a way that works. Let us pray. We celebrate when our boxer wins the, in the 15th round. We, 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 uh, we celebrate the winner of the NASCAR, the Indy 500, Daytona. We celebrate when our team wins the Super Bowl or the World Series. We, we know what it means to win. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, an appetite for winning spiritually. Why should the devil keep on defeating us? Because we're not wearing the armor. We're trying to do it in our own power. But you're inviting us this morning to make a paradigm shift. You're inviting us this morning to live in a way perhaps that we haven't been living. And if we're defeated spiritually and we talk about spiritual things and we say, oh, it's so hard. I'm sure it is hard when we're trying to do it in the flesh. But it's pretty easy when you're wearing the armor and the sword that you're wielding is not your words, but the words of the living God. And so help us, Lord, to let us think about these things. Take them to heart and apply them to our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.